Christmas! Welcome to Ill-Equipped History, where two best friends who are not professionals tell you a story that happened in history. And I am here with my beautiful, perfect co-host, Morgan. Oh, thank you. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you I'd like today? to thank the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? You've been to so many schools. <laughs> uh, none of them. I'm just kidding. None of them. Um, I'm doing well. I've got, I'm wrapped up in my blanket. I have, I haven't shown you my new slippers I got. No. Let me see them. <laughs> are those Aldi? They are. Slippers? They're Aldi, oh Aldi Christmas slippers. And they're so soft and they're so comfortable and they were like $5. Aldi's has the best stuff. <laughs> Me and Emily are Aldi fiends. Yes. So, I mean, you How... get all these stuff, <laughs> all these things. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm good. Um, Did you have a good Thanksgiving? So, so many Thanksgivings. Yes, good ones. And, um, yeah, we had the, the Thanksgiving with the in-laws on Thursday, then Thanksgiving with my parents on Friday. But the cool thing about my family is that like my parents came to my in-laws Thanksgiving and then my in-laws came to my parents Thanksgiving. So, woo! <laughs> so many Thanksgivings with all the so people. So many Thanksgivings! And, uh, I feel like I was running late getting on this recording because it is now... The time of year where my poor little pit bull can't handle the weather outside and won't go potty unless I put his sweater on him. So I had to like wrestle him into the sweater so he would pee. He literally won't go on the back porch. He stares How? at me. <laughs> is this a new sweater or has he had this sweater for a while? Does uh, he fit in the sweater? He, got... he... <laughs> He fits in it better now than he did last year when he got it That's for Christmas. Good. My parents bought my dogs. Um, I, I swear, my dad would pick Parker over me any day. Um, but my my parents got them both matching Eddie Bauer, like, thick coats. And, yeah, it was a little snug last year. He's lost some weight. <laughs> he's been on a forced-upon diet, and he's not very happy about it. I'm not happy either when I have to diet, but you yeah, know what we do? Too. The things we do for our health. Um, yes. My dog is similar where he will not go outside if it's wet without his rain jacket. And he will not go out in the cold unless he has like a sweater or a coat on because he's needy. Yes. <laughs> Which I, the cold I understand. He's a chihuahua. Yeah. They're cold natured anyway. Parker's fur is just the most useless thing I have ever seen in my life. Pitbulls were not made for weather like this. No. And Marin doesn't have enough brain cells, I think, to put together that it is cold outside. So she means well, <laughs> and she's sweet. <laughs> but there might be one person home, and the lights are on. Not, a, Yeah, it's not a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. Bless her. She's cute, though. <laughs> She's very cute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
enough about our dogs. Do you want to talk about war? <laughs> war. Let's war! do it. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, 1914, on the Western Front during World War I. British soldiers are hunkered down, trying to get some sleep in the tense silence. A noise can be heard coming from the Germans' trench across no man's land. What was that? I don't know. It sounds like someone is shouting. Wait, no. It sounds like someone is singing. Come over here! Did he just ask us to come over there? I think he did. The British soldiers hesitantly poke their heads over the trench's edge. They slowly step out of the trench upon realizing no one was shooting at them. You come halfway, I go halfway. Deal! The soldiers meet in the middle and begin chatting with the enemy like they hadn't just all been shooting at each other just hours before. And soon, it almost looks like a party of cigars and alcohol being exchanged. This is the story of one of the most bizarre truces in military history. This is the Christmas Truce. Yay. 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 Christmas. 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 Um, so I know you've heard of this for sure, but what, what all do you know about like World War One and what was going on? All I know is Archduke Ferdinand. Okay. That's really all I got about World War One. I. I don't know. But a lot you don't about know it. like what happened to Archduke Ferdinand or anything like that. I, kn- I know he was assassinated. I know uh-huh. it was botched. I have seen All's Quiet on the Western Front. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna be honest. I'm sure I've been told multiple times what caused World War One, but I forgot. So, <laughs> so I went into, like, we're going to get into an overview of World War One, what was going on during the time, and then what happened on the first Christmas of World War One and why it was so significant, and what really it signified, and all that stuff. So, <laughs> let's get into World War I. Um, right. So, what really started it? So, Franz Ferdinand, or Francis Ferdinand, I saw it in both, referred to in both ways, was first in line to the Austro-Hungarian throne, which had been at the time occupied by Emperor Franz Joseph I. So, in 1908, Austro-Hungarian Empire annexed Bosnia, which pissed off the Bosnian nationalists. And makes sense. For y'all that don't know, annex means that one country, so at this 
in this situation, the Austro-Hungarian Empire forcibly asserts control and sovereignty over another country's territory, this being Bosnia. So Bosnia had been part of like Serbia at that point. And then Austro-Hungarians were like, you're mine now, bitch, for some reason. I don't know why. So in... 1914, the tensions were still really high, but Ferdinand decided to visit Sarajevo, Bosnia that year. And I don't know if you know this, but it was his and his wife Sophie's 14th wedding anniversary. And he wanted to take her somewhere on their wedding anniversary. Aww. I know. Isn't that sweet? So on June 28th, they are in Sarajevo, Bosnia, and Ferdinand and his wife, along with their driver, Leopold Loika, were just riding down the streets, headed to a meeting. They were top down, waving as everyone as they go, um, JFK style, you know, kind of a parade. And Leopold, the driver, saw out of the corner of his eye a bomb being thrown at the car. And he was able to successfully outmaneuver said bomb. And Ferdinand and his wife and Leopold were fine. There were some injuries, but no one was killed in that attack. So they kind of gathered their wits They went on to the meeting, and after the meeting, the officials that they had been meeting with in the city said, hey, we want to take you on a tour of the city. But he was like, no, no, that's fine. I want to go visit the the victims of the bomb earlier. I guess try to smooth things over, see how they're doing. So Leopold was given instructions on how to get to, I'm assuming, the hospital, and because he didn't know the the landscape very well, he took a wrong turn. And guess where that long, wrong turn led them? Directly onto a street that the co-conspirator of the earlier attack happened to just be having a drink at. Literally oh, just bad luck. And the co-conspirator... Um, Gavrilo Princip, the co-conspirator, took it upon himself to finish what they had started earlier that day. Unfortunately, Ferdinand and Sophie were both shot, and they died within the hour. Um, and that is basically, one wrong turn, <laughs> basically started World War One. That's crazy. And it started World War I because of this insane domino effect. So open up the skit, Morgan, and go all the mm-hmm. way to the, the bottom. You'll see two maps towards the bottom. The top one is pre-World War I European map. Of what we've got going on here. So you see Serbia, Montenegro, Albania, 
Albania. Why did I say it like that? Um, you know, Switzerland, France, Russia, all this. So mm-hmm. keep staring at that map while I read this off. Listeners, this might help. I'll try to put arrows in the TikTok or something. But so in response to the assassination of Ferdinand, Austria, Austria, Hungary um, seeks out the help from Germany and Germany agrees. And they then wage war on Serbia. So German and Austria, Hungary combine their forces to attack Serbia. Well, then Russia, Serbia's ally, mobilizes its forces to protect Serbia. And in response to that, Germany then declares war on Russia. So then Germany is, has, is war on Russia and Serbia. Then France, Russia's ally, mobilizes its forces to help Russia... But that causes Germany to declare war on France now. (laughs) So it's kind of like starting to spread a little thin. It's spreading because they're like, wait a minute. Those are my allies. You can't attack my allies. Well, then their allies attack those other allies. I mean, legitimate domino effect. And then Great Britain declares war on Germany to help. Russia and France and Serbia. So then Austria-Hungary declares war on Russia. And then Serbia declares war on Germany. And then Great Britain and France declare war on Austria-Hungary. So everyone's like, it's like the Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. Declare on war on you. Declare war on you. Declare war on you. So, if you're just listening to this, that that might have gotten a little confusing. So let's do a little. I'm recap. looking at the map, and I I'm getting confused. Do you know how long it took me to write all that out in bullet points to where my <laughs> brain understood it? I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> so, recap: Who's fighting who? We've got the Central Powers, who are Germany, Austria, Hungary, Bulgaria. And the Ottoman Empire a little later on. So then the Allied powers, we've got Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Canada, Japan, and the U.S. Not all of those started out, but by the end of the war, that's who entered. Neutral powers were Norway, Sweden, Denmark, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Spain, Mexico, Chile, Argentina, those do not get involved. And World War One was was a war of many firsts. And by firsts, I mean it ended up being up to its time the deadliest and bloodiest war the world had seen. And it's because of newer technologies, different fighting styles. By the time the war was over, 16 million people had lost their lives. And that was soldiers and civilians. 
So in the in this first world war, we saw chemical warfare being used, gas masks, flamethrowers, the emergence of steel helmets, tank battles, aerial warfare, aircraft carriers, IQ tests for soldiers, guide dogs, blood banks, enlisted women, filmed propaganda, military use of x-rays, and wireless communications. These were all firsts in this war. So you can only imagine going from the last war to this. Mm -hmm. What was the last war, actually? There's no telling. There's so many freaking wars. Um... Well, I know there is a civil war in the U.S. and there was the Spanish-American War, I think, at the end of the mm-hmm. 19th century. Okay, let's see. 19th. God, there's so many wars. Don't ever Wikipedia yeah. this, guys. It'll make you really sad. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of wars. Oh, my gosh. I'm actually going to cover a war at the end of December. <laughs> Wow. It looked like right before World War One was the Truku War in Japan. Mm. And then, I don't know anything about that. I don't either. Right before that was a peasant revolt in Albania, is what this says. Okay, well, I wonder if that's why they stayed neutral. They're like, we just had our own thing going on. We're staying out of this yeah, conflict. JK, we're not doing that. Yeah. So, in... I'll go over a quick timeline of world war one and it makes it seem like the four years was nothing but it was not so june 28th 1914 that's when archduke francis ferdinand was assassinated july 28th so exactly a month later world war one began march 15th of 1917 was the russian revolution and that's when we're seeing like Anastasia kind of Russian mm-hmm. revolution. So April yeah. 6th of 1917 is when the United States enters the war. March 3rd of 1918, Russia leaves the war. August 8th, 1918, the Allies advance. And on November 11th of 1918, Germany signs the armistice. Mm-hmm. So this is just... I. I don't even know how to put into words how, like, standstill they were for four years. Yeah, I, when I was going on my trip over the summer, I watched the new All's Quiet on the Western Front movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's a really good movie. It's very, depicts war, you know, doesn't hold any, no holds barred. Um, it said, like, they'd only gained, like, a couple miles. Like, they were literally on the Western Front between Germany and France. They were battling over, like, just a couple miles back and forth and back and forth for years. Yeah. And getting absolutely nowhere. I actually didn't know that the borderlines were redrawn after World War I. So everything, not everything, but a lot of the, like, Slavic countries shifted so, you can see between that first map and the second, by the mm-hmm. end of World War One, so Austria-Hungary split 
into Austria and Hungary, being two different countries, Czechoslovakia, and then they gave more land to Romania. And then Bosnia, which was originally a part of Austria-Hungary after it got annexed, um, Serbia and Montenegro combined to make Yugoslavia, and then all the surrounding countries pretty much stayed the same. Yeah, the Ottoman Empire broke up. Oh, it did, didn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. That became like. What, Turkey? Uh, Bulgaria and Turkey? Greek. No. Yeah. Yeah. The Ottoman yeah. Empire is now Turkey. And then I see like the, the breakup of like the, the northern like Slavic countries like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice that up there. You're right. It's not part of Germany anymore. And it looks like some, well, it looks like it came out of Russia as well. It's yeah. like Poland. Yeah, Poland is now. Is there not, now. Good Lord. How did I miss all that? I guess I was just focused on. And Finland as well. Estonia, Lat- Latvia. Wow. Okay. See, this is, I feel like growing up, and it might be because we grew up in the United States where we only fought in the last year of this war, World War mm-hmm. I is not covered near as much as World War II. And we even came into yeah. World War II late. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I don't know anything about World War I, and I know so much about World War II, and I don't know if it's also because it was closer in time. I mean, World War I was over 100 years ago now. I think, really, and to my knowledge, and I may be wrong about this, but I think World War II is the only time we had, the United States, had been attacked by a foreign power since the British in, like, the War of 1812. So, because, you know, the Pearl Harbor attacks, I think that we're like, well, all right, now we're in this. And I think that's also why, like, it became personal for us. True. And I think that's why it's more talk world war ii is talked about more for in u.s history versus like world war one that's a very good point i didn't even think about that but you're right because it was yeah it was the only time since the up until that point up until that point yeah so let's talk about the fronts if you go back to the thing let's see the first two maps at the very top we've got the eastern front and the western front So the Germans opened the Western Front by invading Luxembourg and Belgium and then gained military control in parts of France. So you can see uh, the furthest Russian advance in 1914 front at the time of Russian Revolution 1917. So you can kind of see that Russia kind of went forward and then they, they advanced a little bit, but roughly the front was kind of a little bit into France. And then on the other side, the Eastern Front, you can see that here they are. I don't know how to explain this without just putting it on, on our socials. So that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. 
So they invaded Luxembourg and Belgium and gained some military control in a lot of the industrial parts of France. And from there, the German advance was halted by the Battle of the Marne. And the Marne River Valley is right outside of Paris. And Germany was going to Paris with the intent of invading and taking over Paris. Well, the the French and the British were able to reinforce their army and hold off the Germans because the Germans were exhausted at that point from coming to the Marne. And the Germans decided that they needed to retreat and stopped around the Aisin River where they began to dig trenches. Both sides started digging trenches along this line, kind of parallel. And this is known as the race to the sea because the they chased the Germans back and the Germans stopped. And then they had another battle. And during this battle, they it's really hard to explain that they I don't think they actually intended on digging these trenches per se. But when you're laying on the ground, trying to find any cover, you take your trench tool and you start digging yourself a little rut. Well, once you're, you know, kind of below the ground, I mean, I'm sure they were like laying on the ground digging this hole, trying not to get shot. So they laid in there and kept digging. Well, then now you're in a hole. So what do you do now? You start digging out on the sides and you connect the trenches. So now you have like a whole thing. And I think this is probably what caused them to have such gridlock is because, well, now the Germans are in a trench. The British and the Allies are in a trench. Where do you go? (laughs) The moment you pop up. You're kind of stuck in the trench. Yeah, the moment you pop up. You're getting shot. Like, that's mm-hmm. just what happened. And then the space between was called no man's land. And you go in there, you're shot. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. With very minimal, like, ceasefires long enough for people to collect their own dead. Which is... I don't know how to feel about that. Like, I appreciate the civility of it, but also... <laughs> How gruesome. Oh my god, yeah. So, they're now at a deadlock. And some of these, no man's land was only like 70 feet wide. Like, they're not that Mm -hmm. far from each other. And one of the documentaries that I watched made a really good point of saying that we know that by the end of World War I, that the, the conditions in the trenches were not as bad as they were at the beginning. And where we're at right now is peak bad. They have no furniture. They have very little supplies. They have just built these. So the drainage in these trenches were, I mean, basically non-existent. There was mud six inches to five feet deep. Oh my God. 
And your main goal was to keep yourself and your guns clean and dry because trench foot was a horrible thing to have where your feet are muddy and dirty and they literally, your feet just start rotting off. And it's not good. And then think about when you have guns and ammo, you have a muddy magazine that you're trying to shove up into this gun. Well, guess what? Now your gun's all clogged up with mud and you can't do your job of shooting people without your gun. So Mm -hmm. those were the two biggest things. And the food was horrible. They couldn't cook in the trench. So they were basically eating like crackers and cheese and like dried meats. So morale was like super low. They, the, the British and the allies really thought that they could, that they could push really hard and in this war before Christmas of 1914, they thought they could wrap this thing up in like six months. Oops. Yeah. And you're also in these trenches. If you get careless and you just like stand up, you could be shot. There were... Mm -hmm. Air attacks and gas attacks and tanks and bolstering the trenches led to casualties that had absolutely zero improvement of advancement. So these men were getting shot for putting barbed wire and getting reinforcements and stuff like that, but it didn't actually like improve their standing as to where they are. It was a nightmare. It's the level of, because I, I saw like very brief clips of soldiers coming back from World War One. The The level of PTSD that these soldiers had was incomparable to times before. And of course, any traumatic event right. can give you PTSD. Like, and there have been wars for as long as people have been alive. Um But kind of like what you were saying, like, there's so many firsts and the level of warfare was so advanced as compared to, like, years prior and centuries prior. Like, these men were coming back from World War I and they called it shell shock because they hadn't come up with the term PTSD yet. But these men were literally, like, constantly trembling for, like, months on end because of the conditions that they had been subjected to and the neurological damage from the gas and the... You know, living in trenches for months at a time, you know, it's. It's horrible to think about. I mean, when I think of like the trenches in World War One, I think of. I know this sounds really weird, but like Hitler and the fact that he fought in World War One and the whole reason he had that little mustache was because you couldn't have a mustache that extended past, like, your lips so you could seal the gas mask. And think of all the trauma and the PTSD and everything that went into creating him. Like, it manifested really bad in him after that war. I'm not saying he wouldn't have been a bad guy to begin with, but it definitely didn't help. It changed. (laughs) It had to have changed him somehow. And definitely not in a good way. And... Also, the lack of resources for those men once they came home. It's like, okay, we'll go back to your job. (laughs) Honestly, and that hasn't really changed. So, No, it hasn't. 
It's getting really sad for a second. By Christmas, the Allies had lost over 90,000 men already in the first six months oh, of war. Most of these first responding British soldiers or any of the Allies soldiers wore were like career soldiers. They signed up for the army years ago. This is their job. So it's not the, again, when I think of World War One, I, I think of, I guess, I think of in both world wars is that these young men in their, you know, late teens, early 20s are being deployed to go to war. But in World War One, that didn't actually happen immediately. These men are in their late 20s, early 30s. They've been at this for a while. They're seasoned, you know, veterans. They know, you know, what they're doing. This isn't their first rodeo. But within Mm -hmm. the first six months, most of those men are killed. And they're starting to get a little disillusioned. They're like, I don't think this is going to end very well. By the time October, November comes around, the British planned on defeating the Germans quickly because typically in a war setting, your campaigns would kind of be put on a hold during the winter seasons because of the shorter days you can't see and it's too cold and armies like to take this opportunity to bolster their defenses, reinforce their armies, get get all their ducks in a row so when spring comes around, they can go back on the attack, go back on the offense. They kind of go in defense mode. And they didn't want the Germans or the, I guess I should call them the um, central powers. They didn't want the central powers to do that. They didn't want to give them the opportunity to bolster themselves. So the British sent out a couple waves of an attack, but they kind of went awry and the British just honestly got slaughtered in these attacks. And so they they retreated and they're like, I guess we're just going to have to wait this one out. And some of these attacks lasted weeks, literal weeks, where apparently, again, this is going to get real sad. (laughs) Sorry about the sadness, guys. Apparently, it would take a couple days for some of these soldiers, wounded soldiers, to crawl back to their side of the trenches just to, like, survive. It is super sad. sad. Yeah. So then brings us to Christmas Eve, which is a lot less sad now. So Christmas Eve in... 1914 the germans were getting sent presents they they had christmas trees in these trenches like families sent them christmas trees i will go over this in my episode next week but no one did christmas like the germans like the germans were so into christmas like it's (laughs) so that does not surprise me at all it's honestly amazing that they would take the time to put up Christmas trees. And according to the documentary, they like to celebrate on Christmas Eve. I did not know that. So the Germans are over on Christmas Eve in their trench having a damn good time. They're singing carols. They're just doing whatever. And the British are like, what the fuck is going on over there? 
<laughs> this is war. Why are you singing Silent Night? So the Germans, who were singing and having fun, started to yell at the British. And they're like, come here. And the British were like, no. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No. Yeah. It's a it's trap. A trap. <laughs> so eventually a British sergeant was like, you come halfway, I come halfway. So by God, the soldiers like very slowly and hesitantly, of course, started to like poke their heads up and then they crawl a little more out and then they started walking and they met halfway and were met with handshakes, words of kindness. They sang together. They traded wine and tobacco. They basically had a party. And this didn't just happen in one location. All the different sources that I found had different locations on the Western Front. And it did mention a few on the Eastern. But this just kind of happened. Along the entire Western Front, they were like, it's Christmas. I don't want to shoot you. I would rather, like, talk to you and we can have a day off from this. And <laughs> Morgan's going to cry. <laughs> it's, so, it's so sweet. And in, in such a time of, like, turmoil and death and hatred, hatred. that... You can come together and still recognize your enemy as being a human being. Because I feel like that's one of the biggest things that happens during war is that you dehumanize your enemy to justify having to do the thing you need to do just to get mentally past that. I mean, you have to. Yeah. You know, like if you think about your enemy as someone with a life and with a family and friends and goals and dreams, like... How can you, you'd have to be a complete yes. psychopath, not care about to that. kill them without any kind of feeling. So, like, yep. that's you know, and it's just what you have to do. And like, even modern militaries today, like they, when they talk about the enemy, they talk about how they're animals, yeah. how they are subhuman. Yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, I just, I'm getting very emotional thinking about this entire situation where it's like this this one little moment in time they could put that yeah. to the side and just be people with yeah. each other there were accounts of i remember one saying like hey i've got this letter um that i want to mail to my girlfriend but my girlfriend lives in like England or somewhere like that. And it was a German soldier. He gave the letter to a British soldier and that British soldier like mailed it to the guy's girlfriend for him. And um, one, I think there was one that was like a German soldier gave one of the British soldiers his address some of them continued to be friends after the war. Like, they found each other. And I know. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, Morgan. Oh, no, that, oh, that broke me. Oh, that broke me. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Okay. 
you can go back to the skit, and I have some pictures. There were accounts of oh boy soldiers finding like balls, and they were playing like impromptu games of soccer. <laughs> no, <laughs> Morgan's literally crying right now, guys. <laughs> oh man. And you can scroll Ugh. down a little more to the second one. Um, you can see that the soldier on the right with the cigarette in his mouth, that's a German soldier. He's got the pointy thing on his helmet. I don't know what that's mm-hmm. called, guys. It's a pointy thingy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the others are are British and and allied soldiers. And they're just, like, hanging out. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I just, like, I'm looking at... This picture of them playing, I guess, yeah. soccer or football. And on like this, like, it looks like a desert. Like, it is dusty. There's no grass. There's no trees. I'm sure it's been shelled to hell yeah. from, by artillery. And they're just playing soccer. You know, and you may get into this, but how the hell do you go back to fighting a war after this? Well... Yeah, I'm about to get back into this. So someone stated that, quote, here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side. The truces weren't actually reported for an entire week. So the public didn't even know about them until a week later. I think they were trying to keep things kind of under wraps. I think it would look kind of bad from... Both sides, if they were like, oh, well, now our soldiers are, like, friends. And some of these truces lasted days after Christmas. Not all of them. And to be honest, some pockets of the Western Front and Eastern Front didn't have truces. They they still had open hostility, mm-hmm. but it's throughout that had... Um, these truces. So let me get into some of these quotes and then we'll get into after. So some of these soldiers were actually court-martialed for fraternization. And Mm -hmm. um, how that's just so crazy. Like you are going to like the most intense like military jail because you made friends with the enemy, quote unquote, the enemy. So Richard Sherman, I'm assuming that's how you say that name. uh, He, he was a German regiment holding a position in the Bernhard Steen. Sure. So quote, when the Christmas bell sounded in the villages of the Vosges behind the lines, something fantastically unmilitary occurred. German and French troops spontaneously made peace and ceased hostilities. They visited each other through disused trench tunnels and exchanged wine, cognac, and cigarettes for pumpernickel, biscuits, and ham. This suited them so well that they remained good friends even after Christmas was over. <laughs> An account by Llewellyn Wynne Griffith 
recorded that after the night of exchange carols, drawn on Christmas Day, saw, quote, a rush of men from both sides and a feverish exchange of souvenirs. Before the men were quick, quickly called back by their officers with offers to hold a ceasefire for the day and to play a football match. Unfortunately, it came to nothing as the brigade commander threatened repercussions for lack of discipline and insisted on a resumption of firing in the afternoon. So they didn't want to. Oh, they didn't man. want to. Bertie Felstead, another one of Griffith's battle uh, battalion members, later recalled that one man had produced a football resulting in a, quote, a free-for-all. There could have been 50 on each side before they were ordered back. And in the documentary, there was, they stated they were like, this whole idea of a football game was uh, not American football, soccer football, but um, has been kind of like dramatized, I guess. They're like, it's it didn't actually play a, as big of a role as some people thought that it did. But they kept referring to the games they were playing as a kickabout. Just a kickabout. <laughs> that is not a word us Americans use, but I love it so much I want to start using it. Just a kickabout. It's, it is so it's British. It's so British. They just had yeah, a just kickabout. a kickabout. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't like an intense match. Just a kickabout. It was just a little kickabout. And um, so an unnamed soldier wrote in a note to home, quote, the Germans seem to be very nice chaps. And said they were awfully sick of the war. Oh, oh no, I broke you again. I'm sorry. And like, I don't know. And you guys may have gleaned this, my attitudes of war from listening to this podcast. I am staunchly an anti-war person. I think it's silly. And like, even when Emily was talking about how this war started, I was like, this is. is so ridiculous. Like... I understand why. I do understand that. I still think it's ridiculous. Like, all these men had to die because of the actions of a few yeah. people. 16 million people died because one country was annexed. They got revenge by murdering, well, not even they, like a very tiny group of Yep. Co-conspirators retaliated, murdered the heir, the prince, whatever. And then they declared war on that country. And it was just like got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And like so many people yeah. died because of that. Like it's just that that's so stupid to me. Well, and, and you've got to think also going back even further in 1908. Had Austria-Hungary not annexed Bosnia, there wouldn't have been exactly. any bad feelings, harsh feelings like that. Exactly. And if you go back even further, or not back, but like if you think about it, if Austria and Hungary had not annexed um, Bosnia, World War One would have hap not have happened and neither would yeah. World War Two. Yep. Domino effect. Like a crazy-ass uh, domino effect. It's... 
the worst, the worst Seriously, game of dom- dominoes like, on earth. With one country wanting to not show any weakness, they take it to the next level and fuck it up for everybody. Yeah, and just hearing how, like, these soldiers are like, yeah, they're not bad guys. They're not. Like, no. They are, like, they are exactly like you. They are, literally, they have families at home. They have, some of them have kids, some of them have wives. They are people. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a quote to send us into our next little topic. Herbert Smith 5th Battery Royal Field Artillery soldier said, quote, fancy a German shaking your flapper and then a few days later trying to plug you. I don't know what a oh, flapper man. is, but I can put the things together. I think it's like a mouth. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. So that's exactly what happened. Is within a few days, the infantry the the men were being switched out or you know how those career soldiers i was talking about earlier most of them have died or been injured and gone home and they're being replaced by new soldiers that the the first soldiers mentality was this is my job i see them as the enemy because I'm told they're the enemy. I'm going to do my job. My job is war, right? Mm-hmm. These new soldiers that were coming in really had the mindset of it's more personal at this point. It's Germany specifically is the problem. I'm here to kill German and central powers, not just this is my job kind of a thing. So it was more personal. Mm -hmm. So they didn't, they were too disillusioned to even want a truce. There were later attempts at truces for seasonal things like Easter, other Christmases, stuff like that. But none actually really stuck very well. I mean, the war would go on for four more years. So the more you go on like this, the less likely you are to want to connect to your enemy. And there were small truces and ceasefires to, like, allow others to bury their dead and stuff. But that was pretty much it. Yeah. And by the next Christmas, the the officers were actually not allowing the truce as well. Even telling the British soldiers to sometimes shoot more on Christmas to keep them from doing that. So it just, like, wasn't allowed. (sighs) Yeah, I know. And that lasted up until the 100 Days Offensive, which allowed the Allied forces to advance enough to win the war. The documentary I watched said basically that People had fallen in love with the idea that the truce was like a goodwill towards man kind of an attitude. But the documentary states that in reality, that at this point in the war, it was just that these were professional soldiers and they just wanted to take a few days off. By the end of the war, it was more personal. 
And uh, at the beginning, it was seen as like business. But I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that 100%. I feel like both can be true. I feel like, yeah, these are professional mm-hmm. soldiers and that facilitated the ability for them to do that. But if you didn't actually have those feelings, you wouldn't have gone over there. Right. Like, you wouldn't have initiated it in the first place. Like, you would never have extended that olive branch, so to speak, or offered that. Like, there there was, like, some kind of, like, hey, like, let's connect as human beings. Right. You know? I, I totally agree. That's why I was, like, the documentary... That's where the documentary kind of lost me for just a second at the end, where I was, like, I feel like that's a very pessimistic viewpoint to have about it yeah i think both can be true at the same time yeah i i agree like yeah yeah so a christmas truce memorial this is in memory so a christmas truce memorial was unveiled in france on november 11th of 2008 at the spot where their regimental ancestors came out of the trenches and played football at So I guess one of the known first spots. Then, oh, sorry. The end of this quote is, it got split up. So it was where the first battalion, a Royal Welch Fusilier, played with German Battalion 371. So one of the confirmed spots. In 2014... There was a fiberglass statue named All Together Now, and it is now currently in the town of Messon. The lead project person, Tom Calderbank, said that the the statue, quote, captures the moment, captured that moment of humanity amidst all the terror and the carnage. And it's uh, a German soldier and a British soldier almost shaking hands over a football or a soccer ball if you're in the U.S. Oh, I know. Look at him. <laughs> don't, don't cry again. <laughs> Morgan. Um, so many things were That's created. It is. Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. And it actually traveled around for a while. Um, and now is in the, the town of Messin. Okay. Yep. Uh, so many things were created in memory of this Christmas truce. Songs, short films, documentaries, etc. And here's a little fun fact, Morgan. You'll love this. In the Doctor Who 2017 Christmas special... Twice Upon a Time, the first and twelfth doctors became accidentally involved in the fate of a British captain who was seemingly destined to die in no man's land in a standoff with a German soldier. The twelfth doctor sent him a few hours forward in time so that the start of the Christmas truce would prevent him from being killed. I... I have seen that episode. I think I have too. I love Doctor Who. I do too. Um, yeah, because they got um, 
oh, what's his name? He played Filch in the Harry Potter movies, but he played the first doctor. And he was a pretty good ringer for William Hartnell, um, who has long since been deceased. Um, no, it was, I think it was, from what I remember, it was a really sweet episode. I remember it being a good episode. That is what I have on the Christmas truce. I'm sorry I made oh you cry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Like, it's a it's a good, like, it's a, it, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't like, I'm so sad. It was, yeah. I'm so overcome by just the humanness of it and the, the goodness yeah. of it that I cry. <laughs> I feel like a war can be a double-edged sword sometimes because you see just how cruel and horrible and bloody war can be but also you get moments like this where civilians come together and you know maybe soldiers defy the odds or they pull through or you know something spectacular happens that only would have happened because of war i'm not saying that you know war is a good and just thing but i think at least my coping mechanism for bad times is always finding something good regardless of what is going on. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's probably yeah. just because I've <laughs> I've been through it. So it's good to find yes. always find the good <laughs> things. Yeah. There's my little Yeah. Yeah. So let's start the PSA for the day. PSA, always find the good things. Always find the good. Yeah. Th- I really wanted to do this one because, I mean, it's Christmas time now. And I don't feel like things like this are ever talked about. It's always, which, I mean, we're going to do is like Christmas and Santa and, and all this stuff. But there's always more stories than we're told. Yeah. And I definitely needed a refresher on World War One. Yeah, thank you for that, because yeah. I really don't know. I I mean, I know more now because yeah, of you. Me too. Um, and honestly, all I could think of while you were talking about, like, the war was the movie that I watched. And it's the newer remake. I, I didn't watch the older one, but it I think it does a good job of portraying just how awful and shitty World War One was. Like, it, it follows... Um, have you ever seen... Either the older one or the newer one. You I know, know I haven't. <laughs> You've never seen a fucking movie in your life. Um. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. You can't get me to sit still long enough to watch one. <laughs> That's true. So it follows actually the German side of the war. And like the one I watch is in German. Um, and it follows like these very young boys who like are just finishing, I guess, the equivalent of high school like they're like 17 years old and they're like let's go fight this war let's go fight for our country and it takes place like towards the end of the war and like one by one these boys are killed in this horrible war it shows them in the trenches in like in in the in the countryside like they get out of the trenches they are like going along the front and then they're back in the trenches it's just yeah yeah it's it's really a heartbreaking movie, it for is. sure. And if you've seen any kind of documentaries or 
movies like that about the conditions in those trenches, it's unsettling how just Mm -hmm. horrendous that, I mean, at any given, you could just be sitting there and then a gas bomb just shows up. Yeah. It's, mm, I would never make it crazy. I know that. I'm aware. No, me neither. I don't have the heart. I can never. No. I feel bad about, like, killing bugs in my home. I'm like, okay, let's let you free. (laughs) Except mosquitoes. I will kill those fuckers. Yeah, I hate mosquitoes. Uh, Did I ever tell you about the mouse that was in my house that I deployed my best weapon on? (laughs) No. (laughs) So. God, what's your best weapon? (laughs) So I'm in what is now the kid's bathroom. And I have to go to class. I was pregnant at the time and uh, pregnant and going to college because I'm fun. Um, no, but so I had to pee. So I sat on the toilet and I'm like minding my own business. And I look to my right and on the edge of a bath, the bathtub was the smallest little field mouse. Scared the crap out of me, figuratively. So I... <laughs> I was like, well, it's a good thing you're on the toilet. (laughs) So I scream like any normal person would. And I scare it. And it falls off the tub. But in my panic, I I didn't see like which way it fell. So I think it's like scurrying around my feet. So I'm like, but I don't have time to deal with a mouse. So I close the door. of. I finish up, wash my hands. Get out of there. Close the door thinking if I can like lock it into the bathroom, I'll deal with it when I get home. So I go to class Mm -hmm. and I come back a couple hours later and I go into the bathroom. And mind you, I am very pregnant. I am not equipped to deal with a mouse right now. And I'm looking around everywhere for it, and I don't see it until I glance into the bathtub, and it is in the bathtub. I'm like, I can't, no, it's too small to jump out of the bathtub. So it's been sitting there all day, or however long I was in class, and I'm not touching that fucker. Absolutely not. I don't care if it wouldn't hurt me. I'm not touching it. I'm not going to do... No. No. So I, like I said, deploy my best weapon. And I go and find my cat. (laughs) And I put my cat in the bathtub. And then I close the door. (laughs) And I wait. (laughs) And I go back an hour later. And Teak, this is pre- pre-chubby cat teak very healthy i was about to say (laughs) so when you were saying that i was like this must have been before he was chonkers (laughs) you mean before when he sits down his back legs completely disappear under a fat roll yes it was before that he was healthy teak at this point and i put him in the bathtub i run away i come back like an hour later And I poke my head into the door just to see what the progress is like. If he's done and wanting out, I'll let him out. Um, All I see is a cat's head, like, poke up over the bathtub and look at me like I'm busy 
right now. So I just like close the door again and I come back in another hour and I actually go into the bathroom this time. And I had a plastic cup in the bathtub because I had washed the dogs like the day before. Teak has cornered this mouse in the cup and is just tormenting the poor thing. I thought it was going to be a quick death. It was not. Teak was just staring at it, and every time it would kind of come out, he'd like bat at it, make it go back in. So, psycho cat. I tried to take the cat out of the bathtub because then I felt bad. But the cat wasn't having it. So I literally just waited for my husband to get home. And I was like, you have a situation in there. (laughs) You deal with that. I'm a strong, independent woman until I don't want to be anymore. And that is a moment that I don't want to be anymore. (laughs) He never killed the mouse. He was just fucking with it. Yeah, I guess that's what Nick did. I didn't stick around to find out. I went found something else to do but i know he can kill a mouse because when i had covid what was this a year and a half ago yeah tell me why i found the bottom half of a mouse on my rug just the bottom half and this is fat teak we're talking about he was just being a jerk (laughs) get cats they said get cats It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Nick watched him catch... Because we have woods in the backyard, so the mice do try to get into the house. We're not overrun with mice, I promise. But apparently Teak caught one that was like half the size of his body and just let it go. And then lost it. <laughs> He's like, nah. He was outside. He it's was not like, worth nah, my time. I don't want to deal with it. That's so funny. The worst. Oh, <laughs> now he's just too fat. Chunkers McGee. Sometimes I forget. I love he's that there. kitty cat. No, he is. This, <laughs> he is like chunky and kind of a jerk, but he's also the sweetest thing ever. He uh, woke mm-hmm. me up the other day with his twenty-five pound body lying on my chest and purring. <laughs> I was like, I woke up mostly because I couldn't breathe. Oh, <laughs> <gasps> <Aww. gasps> get off me! <laughs> And he was just little paws under his chin. His nose almost touching my nose, just purring away. There was, I don't know if it was the last time I was over, but maybe the time before that, Teak, like, he would not leave my side. He was like, I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. And so I was like, all right, like, come on up here. And so I had to, like, pick him up and, like, put him, I sleep on the couch downstairs. Yeah. Um, And he like laid like in between me and the like cushion um like the back cushion good to go and he was heavy but yeah uh, he was more like towards my my pelvis so he wasn't like interrupting my breathing (laughs) abilities but um (laughs) he's a chunk he's he's heavy he's he's a big boy if i remember i'll put a picture of him on face pictures don't really they don't really they don't do it justice his thickness though he's <laughs> he's a thick boy um he uh he slept with me the other night because nick was out of town and i was like you're burning me up cat he's also verbally abusive in the morning when he wants his breakfast <laughs> he will meow at me and then herd me like a shepherd 
to get me into the, the laundry room to feed him. You know, he does kind of look like a border collie a little yeah. bit. With his half little Hitler mustache. I think he's part border yeah. collie. Yeah. 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 He's a tuxedo cat, guys. He's al- he's always dressed for the occasion. His little white sock. <laughs> it's hard to believe he was seven pounds when I got him, and now he's like 25. Yeah, he was. You got him when he was a kitten. Was, like, he was little bitty. That was my bad, guys. I like to feed my loved ones. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Every time I come over, she's like, I made you your own special pastries without dairy just for you. I still have those um sandies that you made Ooh. at the beginning of November. They're in my freezer. Those are really good frozen. They are good. Yeah. I pop them in the microwave for like 30 seconds and they're delicious. I like to keep baked goods on hand in the freezer at all times because I don't know my moods. <laughs> You gotta have an emergency cookie on standby. <laughs> it's better for everyone in the house that way. <laughs> What's that game that Nick plays with you? Oh, Is sweet it, um... and spicy. Sweet or spicy. Okay, guys, I will be laying on the couch, minding my own damn business. And my husband thinks it's a good idea to just shove food in my mouth. And you're right. I know what you're thinking. You could refuse the food. I won't. I won't. It could be sweet. Sometimes it's a cookie or a brownie or a piece of chocolate. And sometimes it's a spicy object. And I don't really like spicy that much. And like, I'm trying to think of like, sometimes it's like a chip and he's just poured hot sauce on it. And I don't recognize until it's like in my mouth and I've already chewed it. And this motherfucker did the worst thing to me once. I'm laying on the couch watching whatever on TV. And he comes up. And this is before we got married. Red flag. Um, he, <laughs> he put a piece of chocolate in my mouth. But it, it had cayenne in it. So at first oh, I was no. like... Oh, thanks, honey. It's chocolate. <laughs> so mean. That is very that rude. Is very rude. But I married him anyway. <laughs> you did. did. And you've been married to him. Six years now. For six years. Yeah. Yeah. We've been together 13. It's a long time. Yeah. yeah. Good Lord, our relationship's a teenager. <laughs> Explains a lot. <laughs> uh, we should probably let these poor people go. Yeah, we need to run through our socials. Yeah, so real quick, I would like to thank um, the guy at the beer pong party again, because I did actually use two of those books. Yay! Yay! Um. One of those being World War One by S.L.A. Marshall, and the other, The Greatest War Stories Never Told by Rick Beyer. Uh, so our socials, uh, we've got Instagram, Facebook page, Facebook group, TikTok. Is that it? Oh, uh, we have we have an we have email. An email. 
illequippedhistory at gmail.com. All those others, you can literally just look up illequipped history. We'll, we'll pop up. You'll see our faces. And we have a um, Patreon. You know, oh, we have a Patreon. You're right. <laughs> and here is a little teaser from this month's bonus episode the site and they said copia may have been the only major glass manufacturer in that area of the silk road like in south asia so it's a huge like hub for glass yeah a 60 pound chunk of glass was found at copia 60 pounds (laughs) that's bigger than my son from like a thousand like two more than two thousand years ago what the hell was somebody doing with a 60 pound chunk of glass (laughs) it's crazy the biggest wine glass ever. <laughs> you literally have to like talk said I can have one glass of wine. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Put a straw in it. <laughs> this is one serving. Because you know they had straws. They did have straws. <laughs> Get the chunky beer. Yeah. Why'd you have to remind me of Chunky Beer? That was not very nice of you. <laughs> I I haven't stopped thinking about Chunky Beer, so I need you to come back around, okay? Suffer with me. <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> Just every time you go to take a sip, you're like, what if this is chunky? Yeah, what if there's... What if it's thick? Do I need to find what a straw with a, a filter? <laughs> Still think about that Irish car bomb. Ugh. My friend. Yeah. <laughs> What's bad is I knew exactly what friend you were talking about and you didn't even say her name on the last podcast. <laughs> and you can find more like that on Patreon.com. This is our third bonus episode. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, our third Patreon-exclusive bonus episode. Yeah, and you will. We've got some really good ones coming up because I'm going on a trip soon, so. Yeah. Woo. So find us on our socials. Follow us, like us. You know, tell us us how we're doing. Rate us. Comment. Review. Tell us all the things. And, uh... Don't shoot archdukes. And don't annex countries. We're, we're, we're kind of dealing with that right now. Yeah. With Ukraine and Russia. That Literally, stay in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> no conquering. No, no annexing. <laughs> Let's have happiness everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> If you have beef with a neighboring country, try talking to them first, maybe. Yeah. At least try. Okay. Um. Okay, goodbye. Okay, bye. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.